This is Think Out Loud on OPB. I'm Dave Miller. Only five states in the country require sex education to be made accessible to people with disabilities. Oregon is not on that list. But a partnership between the state of Oregon, the University of Alaska at Anchorage, and Oregon Health and Science University aims to fill that gap through something called the Friendships and Dating Program. It's aimed at providing young people who have intellectual and developmental disabilities the skills to develop healthy relationships and sexual health. Lindsay Sauvet is Program and Evaluation Manager with OHSU's University Center for Excellence in Developmental Disabilities. Morgan Hunter is a community research liaison with the center. They both join us now. It's great to have both of you on the show. Thanks, Dave. Excited to be here. So, Thank you. Lindsay, first, we're talking about a program for students um, 16, ages say, 16 to 25 with developmental or intellectual disabilities. Can you give us a sense for, for what that means, the various kinds of diagnoses that might fall into those categories? Uh, definitely. Well, these are students, um, for the most part, in uh, organ transition programs. So these are programs that are typically connected to a school district um, for students who are in the 16, usually to 21 age, um, with who are on an individual education plan. So they're receiving disability services through the state, and they're receiving this education through their transition program. So these could be students with intellectual and developmental disabilities. Disabilities. Um, those would be disabilities like uh, autism or Down syndrome or um, cerebral palsy, those kinds of diagnoses. And Morgan, what kind, how much and, and what kind of sex education might students like these have gotten in the past, say in Oregon before the program that the two of you are involved with got underway or, or currently in, in other states all across the country? Yeah, so I mean, it, I think that's difficult to answer definitively because, of course, with all things relating to sex education, it really depends on the the school that you go to. Um, and uh, but one of the things that we do know, unfortunately, is that oftentimes students with disabilities um, they don't always get the same quality of sex ed that their peers get. For instance, if they are receiving special education, we know that sometimes they just might not have access to the same the same types of information and education that their peers do. What are the repercussions of that for of say of of not getting an appropriate level or amount of sex ed or, or a curriculum that's not tailored to students with intellectual or, or developmental disabilities? What follows from that? Yeah, thank you for asking. So, I mean, I think there can be a number of consequences, unfortunately. Um, I'm sure you've, you've um, heard of the NPR article that came out a while ago about the high rates of sexual abuse that this population experiences, unfortunately. And um, we know that um, that abuse rates are more likely when people don't have information about healthy relationships and consent and boundaries and how to, you know, how to talk to someone if you are in a, an, an, an unhealthy relationship. So that that's part of it, of course. Um, and then obviously someone is not going to benefit from sex ed if that information is not made accessible to them. If, if, if you know, for instance, there are too many um, written um, written documents or a lot of PowerPoint slides that might not be accessible. 
that might not be as helpful as being able to perform um, role plays in class to understand concepts in a more hands-on way. Hmm. Lindsay, where do you all start with this curriculum? What's the what's the base for it? Yeah, so we um, we launched this program in 2020 with support from a federal grant through the Oregon Health Authority. And the idea is to train teachers in these transition programs to implement the curriculum. Um, so teachers participate in a seven-hour online training, and this is through our partners at the University of Alaska. And they're the ones who developed the curriculum. And so we train teachers to implement the curriculum to students in schools. And it's uh, typically a 10-week curriculum where students receive um, an hour and a half kind of lecture uh, version of the curriculum. So they would get the information and the content and be able to interact with the information. As Morgan described, there's a lot of um, videos and role plays and kind of visual uh, ways of teaching this information. And then the second lesson of the week is actually a community outing where students go out into the community. Maybe they go to a Starbucks or to a mall or uh, to a movie theater to interact with the information and apply the information to real life settings. Morgan, can you give us a sense for what that looks like? I mean, if if a class, say, goes to a Starbucks, Mm -hmm. what are they doing? So, yeah. um, So a lot of teachers have described this as people watching um, where um, the students would essentially from a respectful distance, observe people out in public and have discussions about um, what their behavior might be reflecting about the types of relationships that they're in. So can they tell if someone is dating someone based on how they're acting in public? That Mm -hmm. kind of thing. What's the connection between that and, and the broader themes and lessons of this curriculum? I mean, where, where, what follows from that? I mean, I, I think that it can be really helpful for giving a sense of, a, particularly for, for young people who might not have a sense of what of what other people's relationships look like, um, of, of what that can look like in other people to kind of get a sense of um, this is, these are some of the behaviors that you might expect a couple to engage in in public. These are things that you, that you don't see in, in public, you know, like certain types of, um, like what types of um, public displays of affection are maybe okay, what, what's not okay, that kind of thing. Hmm. Lindsay, what have you heard can be the most challenging part of these classes for teachers? I think one of the things that we've heard from teachers is that um, there are a lot of different kinds of needs in classrooms. And so it is really hard to have a one-size-fits-all curriculum that meets um, individual learning needs. Um, Fortunately, we're working with a curriculum that was designed for particularly for people with intellectual and developmental disabilities. And it was actually designed with the input of people with intellectual and developmental disabilities. And so this curriculum is incredibly adaptable and we do collect uh, fidelity surveys from our teachers. So we learn from them every week what's working well and what isn't. And we're learning that teachers 
uh, are incredibly creative with this curriculum and have learned to use some of the resources that are available that go along with the curriculum to provide individualized education, um, which has been really an important aspect of making sure that the, the content is accessible to the students. If you're just tuning in, we're talking right now uh, about a program to make sex ed accessible for younger Oregonians who have intellectual or developmental disabilities. Lindsay Sauvey is the Program and Evaluation Manager with the University Center for Excellence in Developmental Disabilities at OHSU. Morrigan Hunter is a community research liaison with the center. Lindsay, how do you deal with the, the really important, but I imagine challenging question of consent? Yeah, consent is a really important part of this curriculum, and it's actually brought up, um, you know, the, the curriculum is divided into 10 weeks, and each week has a different topic, but consent is a topic that comes up multiple times throughout the curriculum, whether that's talking about personal boundaries, um, and for instance, um, asking people if they want a hug versus just assuming that people want to be touched, those kinds of things. Um, up to um, negotiating sexual consent. And I think what's important to note is that, you know, there's assumptions that people with disabilities cannot consent. And we know that to not be true. We know that people with disabilities can learn how um, about consent and they can learn to give and receive consent. And so the important piece is, as has been discussed, as Morgan brought up, like providing that information in ways that is accessible. So, you know, teaching about consent using, you know, a handout with text that somebody has to read if that person has reading challenges is not going to be very effective. But having a video that shows different scenarios where consent is given and, re and received, um, or having a scenario where a teacher uh, can model uh, and act that out with another teacher in front of the classroom, uh, you know, these concepts are not unlearnable. They just need to be taught and those adaptations need to be made so that young people with, with different learning needs can, can access that information. Well, just so to dig deeper into this, Morgan, I mean, for mm -hmm. a 13-year-old who does not have an intellectual or developmental disability, we have decided legally as a society that, that they cannot give their consent for, for a whole variety of decisions that they might make, including decisions about sex. I mean, that's that's why the crime of statutory rape exists. But what if somebody is at the intellectual level, say, of of a 13-year-old, but is 25? I mean, how do you navigate that? Yeah, so um, one of the things that um, part of the, the work that we do is, I think, pushing back against some of the assumptions that... Um, someone might be an adult, but um, may be mentally a, a child. Um, and we know that a lot of harm actually comes from some of those assumptions. And um, as, as Lindsay mentioned, um, primarily all the, the students who take these classes are for the most part adults. And that even though they might not be seen as adults due to the unfortunate infantilization that happens, that that is important to recognize that. I mean, I, I, that does remind me of 
uh, a book that I ha- have never read, but I saw mentioned in a, a good Mother Jones article about this issue. It's by a Syracuse University researcher, and it's called Already Doing It. I mean, what is the status quo without targeted sex ed? Can you ask that? I'm not sure if I understand your question. Sure. I mean, to the extent that I understand this, there's a a Syracuse University researcher who has studied this issue deeply, um, who who wrote a book called Already Doing It, the the idea being that whether or not um, people get sex ed, there's a good chance that they are engaging in, in sexual activities. I'm I'm wondering if you can help us understand, to the extent that, that you're aware of it, the status quo, the the repercussions of uh, of yes. that in the absence of sex ed. Yes. So, um, as a da- disabled person myself, I can speak to that as well. But um, yes, I mean, I mean, disabled people, people with disabilities, regardless of a disability or not, um, have the same range of sexual expression as non-disabled people, including asexuality, including LGBTQ spectrum. So yes, people are engaging in sexual activity. Um, we, we know that. So, um, and not having information about how to make safer decisions, not having information about what is consent, how to negotiate, how to advocate for yourself, um, that does only cause more more harm. And um, that's part of why we're doing the work that we do is to try to give people information to um, reduce some of those things. Lindsay, sex ed has been politicized for decades or probably much, much longer. In recent years, the teaching of issues surrounding gender identity has come under conservative fire and has been wrapped into this. Has the work that the two of you and, and others are doing, has that been targeted as well? I mean, specifically sex ed for people with intellectual and developmental disabilities? You know, our teachers have had um, some experiences navigating those conversations within their communities. And we we believe it's important to provide information uh, to students that affirms who they are. And so we, you know, our curriculum has uh, lessons and content uh, that talks about sexual orientation and gender identity, because we know that people with disabilities as a population experience different sexual orientations and experience uh, different gender identities. And so to um, provide education that doesn't affirm those students leaves those students out. And we know that's young people in this country who feel left out and feel discriminated against have really high rates of poor mental health and high rates of suicidal ideation and high rates of suicide. So there are really significant public health implications um, to not, to refusing to provide information that includes everybody and makes people feel safe and welcome and part of their community. And so that's something we stand by with this curriculum. And we really work closely with our teachers to to work with their communities and provide um, the entire content of this curriculum so that all students feel safe and welcome. Lindsay Sove and Morgan Hunter, thanks very much. Thank you, Dave. 
Lindsay Sauvey is the Program and Evaluation Manager with the University Center for Excellence in Developmental Disabilities at OHSU. Morgan Hunter is a community research liaison with the center. They joined us to talk about a program that is all around the state of Oregon now to make sex ed accessible for young Oregonians who have intellectual or developmental disabilities. Tomorrow on the show, the Salem City Council recently approved a new payroll tax on people working in the city. It's intended to help close a massive budget shortfall. Business groups put the tax on the November ballot, and now Salem voters will have the final say. We'll hear opposing perspectives on this tax on the next Think Out Loud. Thanks very much for tuning in to Think Out Loud on OPB and KLCC. I'm Dave Miller. We'll be back tomorrow. Think Out Loud is supported by Stephen Jan Oliva, the Rose E. Tucker Charitable Trust, Michael, Kristen, Andrew Kern, and Anna Sanford. Thank you.